This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. On today's show, Brian talks March Madness with the Managing Director of the Men's NCAA Basketball Championships, Joanne Scott. The many platforms, I think that's what's really ever-changing in our space of college basketball and March Madness is the many platforms of the way it's being consumed. March Madness Live is, is definitely, you know, setting record-breaking, um, you know, every year we tend to surpass the year before. Now, with Sports Business Radio, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. March Madness is upon us. Conference tournaments are in full swing this week. Selection Sunday is this Sunday. The woman responsible for overseeing all aspects of the NCAA Men's Basketball Championships will join us this week on Sports Business Radio. Joanne Scott has been a friend of mine for over 20 years. She's one of the most knowledgeable, hardworking people in sports. She's now an executive with the NCAA and is managing director for the Men's Basketball Championships. The NCAA tournament is going to be on CBS and Turner Networks through 2032. They just signed an extension to their original 14-year deal, an extra $8.8 billion. So this thing is worth billions of dollars to CBS and Turner and the NCAA. It has become a huge production. Games broadcast on CBS, TBS, TNT, True TV, Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire. It's everywhere. And it's really amazing to see the growth of the tournament. So Joanne Scott will be our guest on Sports Business Radio this week. Stay tuned for that interview coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. I'm in love with the shape of you. We push and pull like a magnet do. Although my heart is falling too. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. This is Sports Business Radio. My guest is Joanne Scott. She is the managing director of the men's NCAA basketball championships. You can follow her on Twitter at JLS4. You can follow the tournament on Twitter at March Madness. Joanne is a good friend and she's been on the show before. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, March Madness is here. I'm excited. I know. This is your time of year. Uh, I know a lot of prep goes into what happens over the next month. First, let's start with telling our audience, what are your responsibilities as the managing director of the NCAA Basketball Championships? Sure, sure thing. Well, 
I basically, uh, I work for Dan Gavitt, the vice president of basketball, and I oversee pretty much the logistics and day-to-day of the tournament. We are, as you know, we oversee the first four, the first and second rounds, and regionals and final four. So it's everything from overseeing the teams and the uh, trans, you know, transportation and charters, getting them there, and the hotels and games and venues uh, at the final four. It's everything, uh, overseeing everything that takes place at the final four. Um, as far as interacting with both our memberships and the teams and the primary administrators as well as the public. So pretty much uh, really operationally based, um, but a lot of, you know, we have everything from ticketing to marketing and so forth, which we have a, a pretty large team that works on it. In your background, you worked at USA Basketball for a number of years. You worked at Nike for 17 years. So you have built relationships with people in basketball, specifically college basketball. So it's got to be great to have those relationships in place as you're in this role now. Yeah, it does. It really does. As you know, Brian, this this business is about relationships. So um, as you said from my previous uh, careers, having coaches and uh, even athletic directors' relationships is really key. And I really enjoy that part of the job. I like to call them and run things by them. Uh, we like, you know, if I'm looking to change some things or mix up some things, I like to call them and get their insight. Um, and so it's really good to have that trust. Uh, it's a high-profile tournament, uh, as you know. It's for the national championship. So it's good to have those relationships in place. And it's definitely made this jar- job far more, um, uh, I, I want to say easy, but it's it's been, it's it's helped a lot. I bet. So this has really become a crown jewel of, of American sports, March Madness. And the next few weeks is going to be incredibly busy for you. Walk us through what your schedule looks like, because I know, you know, we're in conference tournaments this week. We've got Selection Sunday coming up on Sunday. But give our audience a, a little glimpse of what the next few weeks looks like for you. Sure thing. So I'm in New York right now. We uh, just got to New York. Our selections will be here in New York City. Um, we, uh, our committee arrives tomorrow, and we pretty much go into the room Wednesday. I think we go to dinner one night, but we uh, go into a large room, and we will go through overseas. I oversee the uh, selections. I'm kind of, I call myself the air traffic controller of selections. <laughs> Um, and we're in we're in the room uh, morning, noon, and night with a lot of uh, a, a viewing suite, watching a lot of games uh, until Selection Sunday when, when we unveil the bracket. And then um, from here, Monday, I will fly to Dayton for the first four. As you know, the first four is Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, and then I'll get up and catch a 6 a.m. flight the next morning to go to. And then what I do is I just hit all the sites. Um, we've got staff at each site, and a lot of our uh, membership help us and assist us and do a great job of running the tournament. But um, I will go to Buffalo on Thursday. I will then fly down early the next morning to go to Greenville, South Carolina. Then I'll end up in Milwaukee, and then I'm going to drive down back to Indianapolis to hit the Sunday event. Then the following week, just the same thing. I'll go from Kansas City to New York City to San Jose for our regionals. And then while I'm on the West Coast, I'll just jump over to Phoenix and be there for a week. So it's pretty much a you know a good month on the road with maybe a day home to do some laundry in March. And I remember when we talked last year, you said how... You know, when you before you worked for USA Basketball, you had never been on an airplane, and now I'm listening to you talk about all the different places you're going to fly. <laughs> That's crazy. That's true. We when I went to um, uh, Olympic training camp in 1988 at Georgetown with John Thompson, I had never been on an airplane. Wow. I know life has changed. Life has changed. So let's talk about the selection committee a little bit. Still ten members. 
Yes, it is. It is absolutely 10 members. It's been that for many years. Um, it's a mixture of uh, uh, FBS, FCS, Division I uh, um, schools and commissioners um, throughout the country. Uh, it's regionally based. You know, we, we, try and we have certain assignments. So we have, you know, Midwest, Southeast, Southwest, and, and, you know, and so forth. So it covers the country. I'm sure you and the committee every year you reflect on what happened the previous year. What are some of the lessons that you learned from last year that you're going to change for this year? Because I know you've got things like this top 16 that you unveiled a few weeks ago and um, some other things that you're doing. Yeah, so the top 16, you know, that was in conjunction with the NEBC and meetings last summer. Um, as you know, uh, uh, they've been doing it on the CFP side, and we've uh, evaluated it the last couple of years. It's just a little different for men's basketball. We unveiled the top 16. We do an orientation every February where we orient our new members on how to vote, and we go through the process. And, and so we unveiled our top 16, but we also had over a 1,000 games between that when that bracket was unveiled and, you know, Selection Sunday. So it's a, it's a little bit more of a moving, you know, target of, of, uh, I would say seeds and seed lines and teams that are in the top 16, but um, that that was um, you know something that has never been done. It was unprecedented with men's basketball. So uh, that that that's one of the things that uh, we we've, we've done a little differently this year. We're you know look we're just trying to look at things differently and maybe just trying to work with the coaches association on that one. Well, and it seems like, you know, less surprises, right? Like if you've got this leading in to the selection, it seems like people, they know what to expect a little more, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, usually, again, top 16 folks would tell you they could, you know, the top 16 aren't going to probably be surprised that they're in the tournament. They, you know, they pretty much know that they're in the tournament. It's where they're seated on the tournament. And whether, you know, as you, if you followed a lot of the, uh, media hype which is again one of the you know one of the great things that came about uh, it was a lot of talk a lot of talk about college basketball and a lot of it was the hype around who was the one seed and and you know uh in each region and so forth so i think that's probably been more of the conversation than anything so there's a new procedure this year as i understand it the number one overall seed gets to pick first and second round in regional sites explain that Yes, um, we passed this last summer. The men's basketball committee did. Basically, the number one overall seed, not which is one team, not the number one seed in each site, but okay. the number one overall um, seed will pick their regional and their first and second location. And the reason for that is a lot of our hosts are within miles apart. You might be, you know, you could, uh, we could see, put you in one region or another region. It may be a difference of 10 to 20 miles. And so we got, um, you know, some insight that, hey, you know, what one site might work better for one school. They may have a bigger alumni base. It may be easier to travel to than another site. So we felt like that was something that the number one overall seed deserved. So uh, the committee passed that last summer. So they will, we've already sent out a, a communication to all teams that are eligible. And uh, we've already gotten feedback on, um, uh, you know, where their number one seed a location would be for regional and first and second rounds. It seems like every year the committee tries to keep those top one or two seeds in their own territory of the country. Um, you know, I think that makes sense because you're not asking fans to travel from the west to the east or vice versa. Is that something that the committee consciously takes into consideration? Yeah, I think that's one of the misconceptions of, of folks that uh, if you don't understand the bracketing, 
we have principles and procedures that are in place. And the principles and procedures that are in place, they do you do. You bracket regionally first for the top 16, and you will do it to the closest location. And then you will bracket to first and second rounds to the location. Um, the closest location and for those of you who have watched the bracketing you see that we have it all programmed it's an incredible program that Colin Chapel from our IT uh, department developed you can see how far the miles are and so it's it's typically you know the top 16 you know is regionally the only thing that comes into uh, play is if you know you can't send somebody somewhere because they match up with a conference um, you know, a team, you know, sooner than the principles and procedures allow and we may have to shift them across the country uh, because to avoid a matchup. But but uh, that's that's the way it's done. Yes, is re- is uh, by uh, how many miles? Joanne Scott, the managing director of the men's NCAA basketball championships, is joining us here on Sports Business Radio. Joanne, uh, I'm a native of Phoenix, and the Final Four is headed to my hometown, and it's the first time since 1995 when the Final Four was in Seattle that the Final Four is on the West Coast, or not on the West Coast, but in the West. So (laughs) why has it taken so long since 1995 to bring this thing back West? You know, that's the number one feedback I've gotten back when I've gotten from people is when I say we're going to the West Coast, they go, Phoenix isn't the West Coast. But, <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. I you screwed know what? that up. Uh, 1995, <laughs> 1995 in Seattle was the last time we were West. And right now, as you know, in 2009, we moved the uh, the tournament to uh, the larger, I would call them football stadiums. So um, there just aren't any stadiums out West that have roofs that can, um, mm. you know, host our basketball tournament. So Phoenix is uh, one of the one of the venues that can. We're excited that we're going west. Uh, it's spring break there. Uh, so I, I tend to think that they'll, uh, you know, folks will add on to the front or the back of that, uh, of our week there to maybe spend some time out, uh, out in the valley. But we're looking forward to it. And definitely it's a national tournament, you know, so we, uh, we want to for sure cover the entire United States when we host. Well, I worked on Super Bowl there a few years ago, and I can tell you I've already talked to a number of people that are doing a spring training slash Final Four trip. So yes. you're, you're you're going at a good time, and like you said, it is spring break for people in Arizona. So I think it's going to be a great reception for you. And uh, you know, selfishly on on the West uh, and from Phoenix, I would love to see the tournament come to Phoenix more often. Have you, you've kind of developed a rotation, right, of those big venues that you know, like, hey, every five years this site's going to get the tournament, right? Well, it's, it's about, there's about 10 to 11 venues across the United States to, to, that, that can host it, but we still actually do a bid process. We still actually put it out to bid, and the cities that want to bid for it bid on it. Um, a lot of times it's not just venues. It's, you know, we need a lot of convention center space. We need a lot of hotel rooms. So a lot of times those cities have um, certain events booked or they've, you know, uh, that won't work for us for convention center space and so forth. So we it's a bidding process. Uh, we rotate it around, uh, but, but it, there very much is a bid process in place. So the NCAA tournament is going to continue to be broadcast in CBS and Turner through the year 2032. Last year, you guys signed an eight-year extension. It's a multi-billion dollar deal. One of the things I've really enjoyed watching over the years with this tournament is the growth to the digital platforms, whether it's 
Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire. There's the streaming elements in addition to watching it on TV. And isn't it back on CBS this year as far as the Final Four? TBS was last year. Doesn't it alternate now? Yes, it does. And it is on CBS this year. Um, and as you said, yes, the, the, the many platforms, I think that's what's really ever-changing in our space of college basketball. And March Madness is the many platforms of the way it's being consumed. Um, and March Madness Live, obviously, for those of you who have logged on and watched March Madness Live, is is definitely you know setting record breaking. Um, you know, every year we tend to surpass the year before. But um, you know, it's what's so cool about this, Brian, digitally is I'm you know I, I'm thinking of just a couple of instances about March Madness last year. Was if if you remember, um, I think it was Jesperson from Northern Iowa hit that half court shot to beat Texas. Right. You know how we can follow immediately on Twitter and Facebook. I think that was over seven million impressions. Wow. And then um, again, invi- and, and involving Northern Iowa when Texas and Ann and Ann made that double digit comeback in the last minute. If you remember. You know, so we can measure all that. I think that one was over 20 million impressions. But, you know, last year it just kind of aligned with the moons and the stars because the final shot, of course, Villanova um, over North Carolina and the final shot to win the championship was over like 30 million impressions. Um, It might have been like 32 million impressions, which I think all took place within like the first minute or two. So it's an incredible, not just being able to watch it on March Madness Live, but also the uh, communication tool and Facebook and Twitter and all the other digital, um, and, you know, assets that you can monitor the chatter going on, as I say. Yeah, I just love how the tournament has embraced the digital platforms. Like you said, uh, I know you guys are doing a, a Facebook Live uh, video with some of your selection committee members this week. And, yep. it, you know, you've got things going on, on on Twitter. So you're using all of the tools. And, you know, it's funny. I've been reading more about cord cutters, but then I heard a term last week that I had never heard. And maybe you've heard this. The cord never. So the millennials, a lot of them have never watched on TV. They only watch on their mobile device or their iPad. So they're cord nevers. And what you've done with the tournament is you've made platforms where the cord nevers can consume this content just as easily. And I think that's really smart. Yeah, and again, it's 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 being able to replay that and watch that and share that and have that you know emotional tie into it. You know, one of our strategic priorities is reaching a new demographic, and that is how we reach that. And our folks at Turner do a phenomenal job. They help our digital and they oversee our digital, and so they do a great job. Um, you know, on on reaching you know the uh, as we call or you call and I call the millennials. So um, you know, it's, it's and just those the folks that will look at it and partake of it in a different way than most do, whether they're sitting at home um, or whether they're sitting in, you know, in a restaurant or someone watching it. What we're trying to do is just trying to provide it any way we can for for anyone to be able to uh, watch it the way they want to watch it. Well, I love the relationship with Turner and CBS because I love seeing like Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith, but then I love seeing, you know, Seth Davis and, and, uh, Clark Kellogg and, and the people like it's just this great collection of talent and, you know, guys that you wouldn't normally think like the NBA guys that are commenting on college basketball. That's fun for me. And I, I just think you guys do a great job kind of mix and matching who's calling these games. 
You know, they do a an incredible job, and we actually have a seminar with Turner and CBS tomorrow where all the talent comes in, and, you know, we do a big presentation, and they meet amongst one another. But I think Charles Barkley, you know, I th- he says it every year, but he says, you know, the Olympics, the Super Bowl, and, Mar- and March Madness are the Final Four, and, you know, you, you need to make sure you attend it, and talks about his love for the tournament. And so it's, it's, it's pure basketball. It's authentic um, and they all love what they do, and they and, and they do a great job, as you said, of having really good chemistry and working with one another. And and uh, it, I think it's just fantastic. Well, and it, you know, when I remember when it first started, you were kind of like, "Wow, how's this going to work? Is there going to be that chemistry?" But there really has been with the blend of of again the college announcers and the NBA people. Let's talk about. I, I was reading a thing today. Um, some of the benefits for the students, especially the ones making the Final Four. I know we talked on the show last year that you really wanted to make sure that athletes and their families were able to attend the Final Four. So there was a stipend put in place. There was an athlete brunch. I've seen you know, the gift package and the description of that for athletes at the Final Four. And one of the things is they get a little piece of the Final Four court, which I think is really cool as a, as a yeah. takeaway. Give me some thoughts on that because... You are someone who is so in touch with the coaches, the athletic directors, and ultimately the athletes, and it seems like every year you're listening to how you can make this a better experience for them. Yeah, I think that's a big part of this. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, when you get to these big events like the Olympics, the Super Bowl, and March Madness and Final Four, you know, they're great events and people enjoy them, but you have to remember that people are competing for a national championship, and in this case, teenagers. Um, and so, you know, you forget that. I think the general public forgets they're taking finals. They're studying. They have study halls. They have parents coming in. They have siblings. They have little brothers and sisters that they haven't seen that are so excited. And so there's, there, you know, you're, you can you can have an emotional tug in several directions. So, um, I'm, you know, we are doing the family stipend again uh, for the families to travel to the Final Four um, for um, uh for, for Phoenix, we're also doing the brunch, which is the pregame brunch, and then we will bust them again. The venue for Phoenix, since you know you know this from living there, is out in Glendale, so we will bust the families out to the venue. These are the things that you know kids worried about. You know, how did my parents get out to the game? Right. Who's going to pick up? You know, and so forth. So we will be doing that, um, and, and we're just trying to enhance that relationship and listen and do what we can do within the you know the uh, I would call the uh, AMA and regulations of the NCAA. So so far, it's been very well received. By, by the coaches, the players, and the family. Well, that's great. Because, I mean, look, if you're a kid playing in this thing, you want your family there. You want your parents there. You want to share this with them. And if they can't be there, you know, it kind of stinks. So I, I give you a lot of credit for uh, leading that effort and for, for making that right. Just a few minutes left. You know, we've talked about this before. You are a woman working in sports. It's not an easy position. It's still way too male-dominated, in in my opinion. I have a 12-year-old daughter who I'm actually taking her to a a woman in sports symposium tonight. There's a new uh, documentary that's been created called Tomboy, which actually has some negative connotations to it to some. Um, But talk to us a little bit about how you've advanced in why you think you've advanced, but what still needs to be done for women working in sports? You know, it's a great question. I get asked a lot, and I tend to have the same answer every time. I have advanced because actually just what you just said, I had men looking out for me. 
And I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I'm the biggest advocate. I mentor more young girls. I will advance more young girls. But I think the what people oversee is back in the day when women weren't athletics, especially, it was men who stepped up and went to bat for women. And if everybody could work for Dan Gavitt, my boss, this world would be in a better place. And so I think what needs to focus on is I just think men need to be the ones that advocate for women. Mm. You know, there's a lot of women advocating for women. I applaud that. I didn't have that a lot of that when I started off in, this, in my career. But really what you need is just for men to take the chance, for men to, you know, advocate for women, for, for men to be the ones that step up and, 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 and demand the diversity and demand that there, there be women put in roles. So, you know, I just have that all my life. I've been around men's basketball all my life, and I've had men's administrators that have just be- believed in me. And so that's what I know. You know, that's the, that's the answer I give because that's what I know, and that's why I know how I got to where I got. Well, and hard work and building relationships like you've done is totally. also not to be yeah. underestimated either because, you know, it's not like anyone, whether you're a man or a woman, can advance without that hard work and, and building those relationships, right? Oh, correct. I have a lot of young women come up to me and go, I just want to be able to do what you've done. And I go, okay, well, let me just tell you what, you know, everybody I've talked to and what I tell everybody is you, you, hard hard work, relationships and sacrifices because you do. And it is a lot of hard work. And so and it's a high level of work, by the way, it's doing things at a high level, um, which uh, on, a, on a repeated basis. So, um, yeah, I agree. Hard work. Trends in sports or business that you're paying attention to right now? You know, the esports is interesting to me. Uh, again, going back to we're trying to reach a new demographic. Um, it'll, mm. I'll be watching that, where that kind of comes out. But, you know, for me, it's probably more about experience marketing. You know, the days of go to a ball game and leave. And I think this is why college football and um, probably has a, a better – you have that experience of a tailgate. You have that experience of walking around downtown before the game. So I, I think the trend of what else can you provide for the experience, as whether it's a volleyball game or a basketball game or a whatever game it is, I think um, is interesting to me. What is that experience? Even as we look at the Final Four, what other experiences can we provide at the Final Four? What about attention span? Because I see Major League Baseball, I mean, they just came out this week with, hey, for the first time, if we're going to do an intentional walk, we're not even going to have the pitcher waste time with throwing the ball over the plate four times. They're trying to speed up the game. I look at, you know, I always say on the show, we live in the 140-character society now. Twitter has given us all ADD. And I think we want instant gratification. So as someone who's planning a major event do you see any of that with your fan base where, like, gosh, we've got to figure out ways to keep people's attention or at least, you know, maybe speed up the game? Well, we have, this is a rules change year for us come May. We changed several rules two years ago. I think we changed over 30, which might have been more than we had changed in 10 years. And actually, the length of our games has um, actually been, you know, is, is shorter. So, um, you know, we, we got feedback on that. We'll, we, we'll continue to look at that. But I think what I love about NCAA basketball is, you know, we don't inter- overact. Um, you know, it's about the pure game of basketball. But I think that's where that digital aspect of, you know, what we can do digitally with our tournament can also compensate. Because, you know, what you, we may live in a 140-character world, but when it comes to March Madness, you know, it, it is about the competition and the alma mater and pulling for the underdog and pulling for the, you know, the fan favorite. And so I think the games tend to be um, a little a little bit of what people have never even maybe watched all year long. You know, there's a lot of fans that don't watch all year long. So I, I think there's pieces of it. I mean, the bracket is really 
the uh, what I would say the staple of the tournament. People live and die by their bracket. And so to me, it's just finding ways to, you know, create, making sure you're doing a great broadcast, making sure you're supplementing it and giving people the avenues to watch it and then um, and having other kind of uh, marketing aspects to reach out a little bit of everybody. But as far as, you know, the games, I think the games are fine the way they are. That's me personally. No, I, I think vote. I think they are too. I think they are too. But I just, it's always interesting to hear from someone who sits in your seat to hear what they're hearing from the fan base about, you know, whether or not they're like, hey, we need to speed up the game or it's perfect the way it is. So that's why I asked that question. Yeah, I, you know, I think the storytelling, I think it's a lot like the Olympics. I think what we hear from fans is they want to hear the deeper stories. They mm. want to hear about the kids that you've never heard of and the coaches that, you know, the stories behind the scenes. So I think that's like bringing that into the um, the broadcast is what's important. Well, you do such a great job with the tournament. Managing Director of the Men's NCAA Basketball Championships, Joanne Scott. You can follow her on Twitter at JLS4. Follow March Madness on Twitter at March Madness. I know it's an incredibly busy next few weeks for you. Best of luck with everything. You do a great job. I'm proud of you. And uh, I look forward to the next time we cross paths. Thanks, Brian. Take care and, and take good care of that daughter. I will. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thank Thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We are back to wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks so much to Joanne Scott with the NCAA. Always insightful to talk to her. She's doing a great job managing March Madness. Our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them on online at boingo.com or on Twitter at boingo. Thanks to our friends at Tagboard for providing the social media visualizations for our Sports Business Radio Roadshow events. Follow them online at tagboard.com or on Twitter at Tagboard. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We are rated in the top 100 business news podcasts. You can also find our show at sportsbusinessradio.com. Audio Boom, TuneIn Radio, and the Stitcher apps. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. Our Twitter feed was named to the top 50 sports business must-follows on Twitter by Forbes.com for 2014, 2015, and 2016. We're very proud of that. A sports PR summit reminder. You've heard me talk about that event on this show before. But the 2017 Sports PR Summit will take place on May 23rd at the Players' Tribune in New York City. That's Derek Jeter's venue. 
The event is invite only for 125 senior PR executives from across the sports world. Speakers this year will include NCAA senior executive Oliver Luck, father of Andrew, ESPN reporter Tom Rinaldi, who had like one of the most unbelievable feature stories I've ever seen. If you want to see the story, you're going to tear up, so have a box of Kleenex, but follow at Sports PR Summit on Twitter. Also, NFL stars Anquan Bolden and Malcolm Jenkins and Olympic swimmer and 18-time NCAA champion Kara Lynn Joyce will also join us. The Players' Tribune will have an exclusive roundtable discussion featuring elite athletes and senior staff from the Players' Tribune. To register, go to sportsprsummit.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com.